Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the New Books Network. This is the New Books and Literary Studies channel. My name is Dan Moran, and I'm thrilled to be here today with Anatoly Lieberman, author of over 20 books on language, and most recently, Take My Word For It, A Dictionary of English Idioms, to be published in January 2023 by the University of Minnesota Press. Welcome, Anatoly. Welcome to you, and thank you very much for contacting me. Sure. So before we talk about the book, I want to get a little into your your fascinating job description. So you work at the University of Minnesota as a professor of Germanic philology. So please well, tell everybody not, out there. That's you know. not entirely true. Uh, <laughs> I'm in the department of, of German. That is that is where I began my work. Okay. Uh, then uh, it was uh, the Scandinavian department was um, added to it. Uh, the name was getting longer and longer and the department smaller and smaller. Uh, so as a result, I'm a professor in the department of German, Scandinavian, and Nordic, um, De- uh, Dutch, uh, Slavic, Slavic and Dutch. And philology was indeed why I was hired so many years ago. Uh, but I would rather say that I'm now a professor of linguistics and, and the Middle Ages. Okay. So what are some of your, before we get into the book, you know, um, what are some of your, your enthusiasms? What are the things that get you interested? What are, what, what are things that a, a philologist or a linguist studies? Well, philology is a very broad term, and uh, it means both language and literature, because the word was coined, I think, more or less, probably in, in, our, in, our, in our sense of the word, probably by mid-19th century Germans and uh, where there was no distinction between linguistics and literature because there was practically no linguistics. Everything was one branch. Today, these are different areas. One thing is linguistics, one thing is literature, and I'm in both. Uh, So when I say philology, uh, it's really medieval philology, Germanic philology, so history of language and history of literature. Okay, great. So Let's move on to your newest book. Let's move on to take my word for it. So tell everybody out there listening, you know, what is an idiom? I'm afraid there is no way I can define it to everybody's satisfaction. But the simplest uh, definition, and the simplest definition is never very good, is that if you have more than one word, and uh, and this combination uh, is important because it produces or yields a meaning of its own, then it's an idiom. And there are many such words. Sometimes uh, it's almost one word. For example, you know what give means and you know what up means, but that won't help you at all in guessing what to give up means. Uh, And that's of course the horror that all foreigners (laughs) know. Uh, Even uh, even something much simpler like uh, stand up to or for something and you aren't supposed to stand up. And when you stand down, you're you're not supposed to stand down. And then there are phrases uh, which we use almost automatically, sight unseen, that's an idiom. And there, or something very long, uh, raining cats and dogs or whatever. 
So let's say that if there are more than one word, and in order to understand the meaning of this combination, you have to learn the meaning, the sense, or look it up if you happen to be a miserable foreigner. Uh, that's an idiom. Yeah. So the, the the whole of the idiom's meaning is greater than the sum of its parts, because the individual definitions it's won't help you. Victory sometimes, because when you give something up, uh, you don't give anything, and you don't go up anywhere. Right. right. You rather okay. go down. <laughs> well, to use another idiom, let's dive in to your book here. So you you open the book with a preface, and I want to quote you from this. You say that this book is quote better than a thriller and better than a novel because you can open it at any page go forward or backward, and find oneself neck deep in never-ending intrigue. Now, I love that. Now, I know you're being humorous there, but there's something to this because later in your introduction, you talk about the intrigue and the allure of tracking down the sources of idioms, right? So what's it like to chase the history of a, of a single idiom? Like you have these phrases like go the whole hog or monkey on the chimney. What 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 kind of, What's that detective work like? Uh, it's not... Uh, absolutely different from studying or from learning the etymology of a, of a separate word. For example, you want to know the etymology of the word hog. Uh, all the same, you will have to do a lot of, of work, of exploration. Uh, but in order to find out the origin of the word, you need something that I usually call linguistic algebra, uh, because words are connected according to certain very often uh, recondite rules, and you have to learn a lot. You have to learn a lot of languages. Uh, if you study English, you have to know German, you have to know Scandinavian, and very often it will be Latin and Greek and Sanskrit. You have to find some root. Whereas uh, idioms, of course, are from this point of view much easier. And that's why the, this book can be a thriller to, to the non-initiated, uh, uninitiated, I mean, uh, because you, um, uh, you don't have to know anything about the history of the word hog or hole in order to to guess the meaning. But they're as obscure as separate words. You don't know the origin of the word hog. How do you go about it? Well, you have to take many university courses, many college courses, and then you will be able to, to learn it or not, because at the end of your way of a long road, you may be told that the origin is still unknown. There are thousands of words which have been investigated very well and we still don't know how they uh, were coined. And it's the same thing with idioms. Uh, sometimes we don't know anything about the origin. That is, it's very hard to, to explain why give up means to give up. And I'm not sure that I have ever read anything about it because these things are taken for granted. But when there is an idiom which seems to have a double bottom, go the whole hog. Well, apparently it's something to do with hogs, apparently. And apparently with, not with one uh, segment of this hog, but with the whole hog. And how does they go, how do you go the whole hog? And where do you go the whole hog? And so on. So that is how you begin to, dis to, begin to look for the origin. You, first of all, you try to find out when the idiom was coined. Because when the idiom was coined, it was probably even certainly transparent to those who coined it. They knew why they said so, but then they disappeared and we don't. And those, someone knew who said raining cats and dogs. It was not so mysterious at that time. It was probably not mysterious at all. 
So you are left more or less with the same as a word. You have the word put, get, kick, get, dog, cat, and who coined these words? So you try to find the source of an idiom, who coined it, when, which is very important, under what circumstances, how, how were those idioms understood? But it's a very difficult process because all words and all idioms and all innovations go the same, uh, uh, follow the same uh, road, the same way. Uh, somebody says something funny, let us say go the whole hog since you cited it. And everybody laughs because they know what it means. <laughs> then their children already know the meaning, but don't know why their parents used it. And then nobody knows it. And they begin to guess. Uh, and this guesswork is sometimes profitable and sometimes not. So in order to find out the origin of an idiom, you have to try to find the earlier stages and the many opinions, because somebody in the hog industry, for example, uh, may know it or may not know it or may think that he or she knows it, but is greatly mistaken. People very often think, oh, yes, well, that's easy to explain. No, no, no. Uh, that is an illusion. So you try to do the explanatory, explanatory work the, more or less the way detectives do. That's why it's a thriller. Uh, you try to find out. Very often, it's simply very many opinions, a matter of very many opinions. Some people think so, others people so. And then somebody may sometimes guess cleverly. And then it's not really that they prove something, but it seems reasonable. And that's usually as far as you go. Uh, yeah, oh, yes. So that is what it means. Oh, that hog. Uh-huh. And, and that's why I go the whole hog. Oh, so it's, oh, it's some, from some sort of hockey game. So there was, were really no hogs um, right. and, and so on. Uh, so that's how you do it. Sometimes you find the, the beginning and sometimes you don't, exactly as you are, as, as, as with separate words. Yeah, that's great. You know, it's funny because you just, I love the story of you just said about at some point, everybody's in on the joke and everybody understands a joke and laughs. But one thing your book made me do is it made me realize how even a phrase that's not mysterious anymore, like raining cats and dogs, you said, we don't even think that's odd anymore. People just say it without thinking about how strange it is. But your book, when you, when you become an idiom detective, you start to notice just how strange these phrases are like whole hog or raining cats and dogs. Yes, that's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. And uh, that's why it is a thriller, because uh, after all, at the end of the thriller, you know the denouement. You know who who done it. Right. Uh, you know uh, who killed whom. Even if it is a very good uh, story, you, uh, you will finally find out. And here you have a riddle with multiple uh, solutions, uh, and you can go on. You're yeah. part of the thriller and not only a consumer. Yeah, because every time you speak one of these idioms, you're involved in the mystery. <laughs> That's exactly true. So and then there is, of course, that element of fun. Uh, everybody loves idioms because yes. what they, uh, the moment you begin to say something uh, like that, people begin to smile. A student is sitting uh, in front of me and I see that uh, the student is thinking of something else. And I say, Tom, I think you are, you've gone wool gathering. And everybody begins to laugh. Uh, and 
Uh, it's a good thing to say. And I said, do you know why we say to go wool gathering? Do you know what it means? Sometimes yes, sometimes no, as the case may be. Uh, yes, no, I have no idea, but I know what it means, or I've never heard it. Well, then uh, open my book, so to speak. Of course, that's not what I'll say to you. <laughs> and you will find out whether there was any wool gathering there, and the story uh, begins to unravel. Yeah, the book, and it, it's so funny because if somebody said, uh, you know, I'm going to read the newest book by, a, you know, pro, uh, by a professor of philology and linguistics, that stuff can be very, very heavy. But your book has a very light touch. You're, you, you are, you are clearly having fun writing this book. Every, every, I think that every good teacher turns uh, turns his or her subject into an, a source of fun. Yes, not fun in the vulgar meaning that uh, that everybody will now begin to giggle. Uh, but because you see the beauty of investigation. Yes, yes. The, the beauty of the process. That's the like solving uh, uh, an equation, right. uh, like finding the answer to a good mathematical problem. That's the fun. And not simply if I tickle you, we'll begin to giggle. That's not fun. Right. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great intellectual, uh, you know, uh, fun it's game. Adventure. Yeah, it's, it's an adventure. Like, exactly. It's an adventure. So let, I want to ask you about something else you said in your introduction, which really struck me. This really, really struck me when I read it. It's that this idea that English idioms are from a post-medieval culture. And you say that at the dawn of the Renaissance, so we're talking about you know the early modern period, that English painters and speakers gained perspective and what you call signs of abstract thinking, and that idioms are one such sign of a new way to, to see the world and a new way to describe other people. Can you can you talk about that shift in, in perspective and language? Uh, we don't have a, a whole day for that. Uh, <laughs> so I'll try uh, to be uh, not, not too long about it. But the problem is that the post-Renaissance period, when I say the post-Renaissance, let us say, uh, if you begin with Italy, uh, after Raphael and Leonardo, so the uh, 15th century, with Shakespeare, it's a little bit later. Mm -hmm. And since we're in English, uh, let us more or less begin with the uh, with the Elizabethans. So uh, Shakespeare died in 1616. Right. So let us begin with the 16th century or so. Uh, and this is when people learned a lot of things. Uh, I won't tell you why they learned them and how, because that's a very long story, but they invented many things. Uh, they stopped being part of a picture. That's when they when they discovered the existence of perspective. Uh, anyone who has seen uh, children's drawings uh, will know that they're beautiful things, but they're flat. And the same is true of medieval pictures. They're, they're beautiful pictures, beautiful illustrations of saints' lives and so on, but they're flat. They're exactly like children's pictures because the artist is part of the canvas. The ability of, of jumping out of the canvas and looking at, at everything from some distance that is the greatest difference between what may be called medieval and post-medieval uh, intelligence and or mentality. Uh, and at that time, they began to use idioms. That is, they invented the beauty of a metaphor. Uh, medieval poets uh, uh, used wonderful similes and epithets. They could say, uh, I think I, I even uh, quote this, my my beloved is a rose. Right. But they my, my beloved is like like a rose, a rose like a rose. But they yes. would never say my beloved is a rose. 
it seems such a very obvious thing uh, to do, to say, but that's how it is. Perspective. They stopped, they were no longer tied to the direct meaning of what they said. That's why there are no idioms, because if you say it's raining cats and dogs, you look up and look for cats and dogs. You had to step out uh, of this to get perspective, something that you call liter may call literary perspective or linguistic perspective. When you can say to someone, uh, uh, you are not in a hurry to kick the bucket, and no bucket uh, anywhere around, and no one is expected to kick the bucket. But that's a very important step away from the canvas. You are an observer and not only the master. Uh, there are early idioms, but they are either quotes from the Bible or translations uh, from Latin or Greek, but they are not genuine English uh, idioms. But all those cats and dogs are post-medieval. Yeah, that's fascinating. That's a, that's a fascinating uh, moment in the history of the language. Indeed, indeed yeah. so. So let's talk, you also tell a story about how you once tried to find the origin of the word heifer and how that fueled you over time to begin this project, right? So can you talk about the connection between, you know, that cow and this book? Well, that will take me a few minutes, seconds, because otherwise I would have I would have kept you here sitting for hours. That's okay. <laughs> one, day, uh, one, one day I saw the word heifer, English word heifer, and wondered what the origin of the word is. And of course, looked it up. And the answer was absolutely satisfactory, origin unknown. Uh, so this was quite a shock to me. Uh, and I looked it up in another dictionary and another dictionary and found that some people had some ideas. So I decided that I should find out what the origin of the word heifer is. But in order to find out what the origin of the word heifer is, I had to know what was written about this work. Uh, about this word. And that means looking up in dictionaries. The number of dictionaries is limited. You know, I looked it up in five or six dictionaries, and that was it. Then I, by chance, ran into an article about this word. And it irritated me that I had never heard about this article. And that article had references to other articles. And I thought, how is it possible that there is no place in the world where you can look up the word heifer and find the literature on heifer? Because you can do it if you are studying if you study German or French or any Slavic language. There are dictionaries with the bibliography where you can find anything. But you look up uh, even the Great OED, which is after all not an etymological dictionary. Uh, but you look it up in Skeet. Skeet is the main etymological dictionary of English, still though it is more than hundred years old. There are no references. You know what Skeet thought about the word, and that's where you are. So I decided that I should save the world and, uh, and produce such a bibliography. And that was about, I think, 25 years ago. Uh, and I began to do it. And the project engulfed me, absolutely. Uh, volunteers and paid uh, assistance. And the odyssey uh, about how I got uh, the financial support about those who helped me. So as now, at the beginning of the 20th century, the University of Minnesota Press published my voluminous bibliography of English etymology. You want to know the origin of any English word? Look up. And all the articles are in my office, uh, but all the references are in my book. 
And while uh, studying the history of words, I naturally encountered many idioms. And I thought that should wait because I cannot do both things. Uh, and now I know that I will never write the entire dictionary. Uh, I need another 30, 40 or 50 years for that, which I obviously do not have. Uh, but uh, I have published uh, an introduction together with my friend and colleague. Uh, so uh, there, is, there is a good, you can get a good idea of how it was done. Uh, but then I decided, it was about 10 years ago, I'll probably never write the entire dictionary unless I read until I'm a thousand years old. Uh, but I can do the same with idioms. And we, again, we collected idioms. And I knew that it was a project which you could begin and finish, more or less. And that's how from the, uh, from the heifer uh, to cats and dogs, that's the way. That's good. That's great. Again, more detective work. I love all the detective oh, work. Oh, it's all have. detective work. Yeah. It's all detective work. That's good. So I want to ask you about, it's funny you're talking about dictionaries. So one of my, one of my personal heroes is Samuel Johnson, the great lexicographer who wrote his English dictionary came out in 1755. And you probably know this. I'm sure you know this. His famous joke um, definition of lexicographer was, in part, it was a harmless drudge. <laughs> a harmless drudge. You cannot imagine how often this joke has been repeated. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Everybody knows it, and every lexicographer knows it, and everybody, everybody knows it. Yes, it's part of your. Yes. Yeah. And, and it's half true and half untrue. It's true in the sense that if you want to uh, to do something, it's not necessarily etymology. Uh, Samuel Johnson was not a specialist in etymology. Right. He copied his etymologies from other sources. They were tremendously outdated. And today they are using the polite parlance of scholarship only of historical interest, which means they're not interesting at all. Right. Uh, and uh, well, of course. Yeah, they're interesting to Johnson, <laughs> Johnson a, fans. Yeah. It's, a, it's a euphemism. Yes. Uh, uh, <laughs> but uh, if you want to do that hard work, then yes, you are a drudge. Mm -hmm. There is uh, no doubt about it. But when you come uh, to the end of the process, especially in etymology, uh, you're a detective. Uh, but before you become a detective, you have to do all the dirty work. So it's not drudgery, but it is harmless. That's true. <laughs> That's good. Well, you know, you you obviously have a sense of humor. I said earlier that your book has a sense of humor, and you could see that in the epigraph you've chosen for, for take my word for I it. Love so, epigraphs, of course. I, I love epigraphs too. And so I and I, I just want to give the the listener a sense of yours. So you quote an anonymous review from Notes and Queries of a book called Significant Etymology, in which the reviewer says this quote. Nothing is easier than to turn out a popular book on etymologies. So, can you talk about that choice of epigraphs? Absolute nonsense, of course. <laughs> right. uh, uh, yeah, it may be easy if you are, if all you want to do is to copy from somebody else, right. then yes. But if you want to produce at least a modicum of novelty in your dictionary, then, then nothing is more difficult than doing that. <laughs> of course, if you are simply copying. That's easy. And that's, of course, what, what many people have done. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you read it in this dictionary, you read it in that dictionary, you put them together, and then you pretend that you have an opinion. Uh, actually, you have no opinion. You have simply uh, used other people's words and other people's wisdom, quote-unquote. Mm -hmm. uh, but if it is an original work, no original work is easy. Uh, but that epigraph is damning because 
because the author did everything wrong. Uh, it, there was no accuracy in the book. There was no originality. Uh, that is in all, everything that he claimed, he failed miserably. <laughs> and that's right there at the as the epigraph for your book, which is which I think is great. Yes, ironically, <laughs> if somebody yeah. wants to uh, to um, to tear me to pieces, yeah. fine. Uh, I'm you've, prepared. You've I'm already told prepared. them how to do it. You've already told them what to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course, of course, we have known it all along. <laughs> okay, let's move into the book and, and the actual idioms. Uh, how, about how many of them are there in your book? About uh, over a thousand. Over a thousand. Okay, great. Over a thousand, and that's a very important question because. Uh, every lexicographer has to to uh, to ask uh, to, and to answer the question: Where do I stop? Yes. Uh, and there are small dictionaries for children. There are chil uh, uh, um, collegiate Webster's uh, for for anyone. Then there is the OED, uh, which is Oxford English Dictionary, mm -hmm. and which pretends uh, to have all the words in the world. And there is Big Webster's Dictionary, where you practically find everything you need. But again, it's not everything. Uh, the same with idioms. Uh, there are countless idioms, and in uh, while preparing uh, for our talk, I quite by chance. It's always by chance, of course. But this chance come you you find the chance only if you if you are uh, prepared for them. Uh, there was a, a, a folklorist called Thomas Radcliffe, and this is a quote from him which I liked very much. The old gossips, gossips of course means old women in 19th century and 18th century English. The old gossips still use hundreds of unrecorded sayings, which is true. Right. And uh, uh, I had to choose something. Uh, I also, my, my database, which is, I think you pronounce database, but I still use my old fashioned pronunciation <laughs> database. Uh, and uh, my database is much larger than what I have uh, in the uh, in the book, because I didn't want to 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 go on and on and on, and not to be, and didn't want to be too repetitive, and then I wanted some idioms uh, for, about which I could say something, though I did not exclude the, some of the idioms about which I could say nothing. In my index, I even have a line: uh, dictionaries, uh, no, sorry, idioms which have never been explained, yeah. so that one could go on and pick up where I have. Uh, left off. Uh, but my material was limited because I wanted to find only those idioms about which people have tried to say something. And uh, and if there was no discussion, then there is no idiom in the book. It doesn't pretend to exhaust the subject and no one can exhaust it. Uh, there are dozens and dozens of old and new dictionaries of idioms. It's especially easier. It's especially easy to do uh, if you deal with proverbs. Uh, proverbs are countless. And even the first dictionaries of, of proverbs were much larger than what we have today. Uh, and I excluded almost all proverbs because that's what everybody can find in, in other books. And I was limited by my sources that is the journals which uh, I have explored. Yeah, let, can we talk about some of those? Let's talk about those. What were some of your, your, your you, you have all your sources after each entry, right? But what were some of the sources that you found very, very fruitful? So-called popular press. Uh, that is something which is almost dead today uh, because there are professional journals. And if you want a linguistic question to answer, then uh, you uh, look it up in a linguistic source. But not too long ago, 
uh, when both of us actually were boys, even you and not only mm -hmm. I, I'm considerably older than you are, but that's the same thing. You could find uh, good uh, answers about such things in Scientific American, mm -hmm. for example, in Times, uh, that is in so-called popular journals, yep. uh, in, in periodicals, uh, in the Atlantic Monthly, for example, for a long time, there was a section there. All that is, I think, either totally or almost totally dead. Today, you can find such things only in professional journals and not too much of this stuff. But beginning with the end of the 17th century, uh, more in the 18th and especially in the, in the 19th, these popular periodicals or journals, call them whatever you like, they brimmed with questions and answers. And some of the answers, as always, uh, were wrong. Some of them were very clever. And nobody has ever collected those answers. Uh, though uh, one of the latest uh, uh, Dictionary of Idioms uh, does refer to notes and queries. Notes and queries is one of the wonders of the world. Yes, I remember reading Notes and Queries as an undergraduate. So I remember it was it was, oh, it was a big yeah. I remember Notes and Queries. Sure. It's an absolute. Now it's all online. Yes, uh, but it's an absolutely wonderful journal rather than oh, say periodical mm -hmm. uh, and everything. Uh, you want to know some genealog gen genealogical uh, information uh, about so and so. Write a letter to Notes and Queries. Two weeks later, you will get an answer. Someone will answer you, yes. Somebody will know. <laughs> Somebody will know. You have found a coin, and you cannot decipher the inscription. Write a letter to know some queries. A week later, two weeks later, somebody will say, yes, yes, I know the coin, and that's what it is. And as to the language, blah, 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 blah. And among those questions, there, one finds hundreds, actually thousands of questions about word origins, and the origins of idioms. Uh, the clientele was mixed. Uh, some of those people were professional, that is linguists, but 98% of them were not linguists. And they were amazingly well-educated. We cannot imagine how well-educated they are. Today, uh, with, uh, with our students knowing a million uh, times less than, than those people, we cannot even imagine how how clever th those people were. That's why there is an index at the end of my of my book explaining references to all the books, uh, history books, novels, and so on, about which none of us knows anything. Those were very well-educated people. They went to school. They had uh, six or seven years of Latin, two or three years of Greek, all beaten in them uh, into them very well. Uh, and they usually knew some foreign language, French, as a rule, and their opinions were sometimes wrong, but they were seldom stupid. Uh, stupid opinions appear there too. Uh, so it was very, uh, very interesting to see what people could say uh, about the origin of idioms. Something that there are people who know the value of these journals, and uh, but and there is in the bibliography for for notes uh, for notes and and um, and queries. Uh, but no one has used this bibliography. You can just, you have a list and we opened every, we, 
that means my assistants. We opened every page and copied every page and I read every page and, and summarized everything that has been said there. And sometimes it's great fun, really, especially with cats and dogs. A, a lot of nonsense, absolute nonsense. And then suddenly, at the end of the process, I ran into an answer which struck me as an absolutely correct explanation. Whether it is correct or not, I don't know. The same was with pay through the nose. Uh, all kinds of uh, references, all kinds of explanations, which I knew right away were wrong. And then suddenly, something which struck me as really correct. Now, whether it is correct or not, nobody knows. But it's the best uh, of all the answers, and it makes sense. So that's why I uh, uh, thought it was very good. Probably the best, uh, in addition to Cats and Dogs, which is really the, uh, the greatest jewel in my crown, uh, there is one uh, which is equally good, and that is uh, where, for which there are countless, uh, countless answers uh, and uh, by hook or by crook. It's unimaginable what nonsense people said about Mr. Hook and Mr. Crook <laughs> and, uh, and so on. You know, those legendary uh, gentlemen never existed, but everybody was sure uh, that they had existed. And I think finally, I ran into an explanation. You know, there is that quality uh, which characterizes truth. When you see something which is true, you suddenly feel, yes, that's the way it is. That's, well, that's like that's your detective's hunch. Yes, yes. Oh, yes. So that even if it's wrong, it can be absolutely wrong. That's a correct approach, and uh, that's what I what I felt. I must say that in general, etymology is a very hard subject. It's very hard. Uh, the best scholars uh, do not agree uh, about the origin of the simplest words. God, for example, uh, and uh, Earth. And, and so on. Uh, but usually, the simplest explanations are the best. The more complicated an explanation, the more suspicious it is. The truth somehow always turns out to be simple. Well, that's true in detective novels, of course, as well. Oh, is that you, the most then you, you say, yeah. oh, I should have guessed it myself. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, well, let's talk. I have. I cannot resist asking you about what. It, let's talk about cats and dogs, or hook up by crook, or paying through the nose. Can you tell us the the the, the origins of one of those three phrases? Any any one of you choose. Uh, well, uh, it's not a very short explanation. Uh, uh, it seems that uh, paying through the nose uh, comes from. Uh, from the uh, from what happens on board a ship, uh, so uh, pay means something like pull, and it's the nose of the ship. That is, it's a metaphor which was absolutely clear to uh, to seafaring people. Sure. And of course, when you think about your own nose, uh, then uh, then everything is lost. Cats and dogs seems to be seems to go back uh, uh, to, uh, uh, to, uh, to, a, to a metaphor. From sports, the whole hog also from mm -hmm. sports. Uh, that's the trouble with them. That uh, when you're raining cats and dogs, you think that you are dealing with real cats and real dogs, and it may be that there is a step away. Yes, there are cats and dogs, but not those quadrupeds uh, which you want to discuss. And you pay through the nose. Yes, the nose, 
but not the nose which is just which is plain on your face but some somebody else's nose and you don't really pay uh, with hard cash uh, it's something else and that's the trouble of 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 such yeah. with same with hook and crook uh, no gentleman as i said called mr hook and mr crook uh, and uh, and it's probably a metaphor from forestry from medieval forestry and that makes sense uh, it may be wrong uh, one never within etymology one never knows the so-called absolute truth there may be someone who knows a better explanation but at least uh, with a dictionary like mine and of course i am only uh, the last of many people who have tried to do this this thing uh, with with this work you at least can, could can ignore nonsense uh, which is a very important step in etymology forget a lot of nonsense uh, that has been said uh, that narrows down uh, your vision and which is very good so you know more or less where again as i say uh, like in a detective story uh, yeah. with what Poirot did in agatha christie's books now that's no that no no that's un- improbable and that's right. improbable let's try this let's try that and then finally you uh, narrow it down the circle of of uh, murderers and the murderer emerges only that in my work, the murderer is still only a suspect. Uh, but that's as much as you can expect. <laughs> you can get a better suspect. That's right. You have to eliminate all the red herrings, like Mr. Crook and Mr. Hook are red herrings. They okay, seem reasonable, but, but they don't exist. Absolutely. And why you draw a red herring across the path is also a very interesting. Also... <laughs> I didn't include it because the origin is known very well. Yes. It's known exactly where it came from. And somehow, for some reason, it has never been discussed in my in in my sources. Hmm. All right. Well, let's. You know, as I went through your highly highly addictive book, you know, I found many idioms that I've never heard before. So we're mentioning all these famous ones, but I heard ones. I mean, I could almost open up at random. I heard ones like um, "side pocket to a toad" for <laughs> something useless. Um, have a, to have a soul above buttons is to be very honest. I mean, that was great. That's- and the one of the tune the old cow died of. As, as a way to describe a, an ill-played p- piece of music. I thought these were great. So can you talk about some of the oddest idioms that, that you discovered and how to do some detective work on for this? Well, let me, let me quote uh, what's right. Uh, the old gossip still use hundreds of unrecorded yeah, that's, right. <laughs> that's exactly uh, exactly where we are. Uh, I, I've heard more or less the same thing from, uh, from my colleagues, uh, just what you said. Uh-huh. Uh, nobody knows all these idioms just as nobody knows all the words in, uh, words in webster's dictionary and you're not supposed to uh, some of the idioms uh, are local uh, they're british uh, in most cases but uh, they are rather international too uh, some of the most obscure idioms uh, may have come from from india that's the cheese for example oh because, really <laughs> because yes that's the indian in, Anglo-Indian jargon, uh, where cheese uh, in Urdu, I think, that means thing. So that's the cheese was a joke, meaning that's the thing. And then the people began to guess what kind of cheese it was. Uh, There is a wonderful idiom there, uh, fox's wedding. Uh, That means, uh, uh, that is what they say uh, when there is rain and sunshine at the same time. There is a whole book tracing, uh, tracing the history of this expression. Why fox? Why wedding? It also seemed to have started in, in India. You may never have heard about Fox's wedding. Neither had I before I began working uh, on this dictionary. 
And many of these idioms remain local. Also, some of my sources are old. Uh, those idioms perhaps were known in, let us say, 1850 or 1860, and now no longer known even, even in that county. So despite the British uh, predominance of the British element, most idioms are still, most of the best idioms are still international. Also, uh, uh, the English, uh, that is the colonists, came to the United States just at the time of the Renaissance. Uh, Shakespeare died in 1616, so we're a few, a few years after the Pilgrim, and sure. uh, and uh, they uh, brought their idioms to the United States. What is called an Americanism. Well, sometimes it is an Americanism, uh, a blue plate dinner, uh, because it's something that started in the United States. But many of those idioms are probably American, but have never been recorded in Britain. Uh, so they are not really American. They were, they uh, appeared, emerged uh, in American English, but they are probably British. So with that, even though there is such a strong British element uh, in this book, it's really a book, a book that can be called international. From then, there are so many which owe something to French idioms. Uh, that is British uh, when you look at them, but really international. Okay, that's that's fascinating. Oh, let me let me let me up the ante to use another idiom. Uh, for for you know, my last big question for you is this: is that you know, I have, I had so much fun and I still have fun going through this book and it, it's so addictive. Like I said, it's like, it's like a great thriller, but what are some of the big conclusions that a reader of this book can make about language and about how language, you know, operates from, from a, a book as, as playful as this? What are some of the big takeaways about how, how language works? Well, I think that if someone, uh, re nobody will probably read the book the way you have from, uh, sure. from beginning to end. And nobody is expected to do so. Though I think that the book, that the material is so interesting that if someone opens the book, uh, it's it's almost uh, it, it will work almost by its oh, in a, by, by its own attraction, so to speak. I have read this interesting idiom, and what's the next one? Yeah. Uh, uh, because when you read simply words. You probably don't want to know all the words beginning with the letter B uh, right. or with the letter F. Uh, but here, uh -huh, that's how it is. What is the next one? Uh, I think there is some uh, some attraction in the material. I, do, of course, don't expect anyone to read the book from beginning to end. Uh, but I think that those who will read enough uh, will learn something about the playful element of language. Uh, they will uh, find out how many people are interested in what they are interested in, so that they are not exceptions, but they are in good company. Uh, and I think the reading is addictive in a certain way. Uh, you begin to read it, you want more and more. You see how language operates. Uh, you see how rich our resources are, how little we know about them in comparison to what really exists. I think it's a good educational tool and I think it's a good uh, cult cultural envoy to the world. Yeah. That's a great way to describe it. Yeah, it's a great, it's, it gives you a great sense of, it you, of how little we know about things we take for granted every day. That's absolutely so. Uh, it seems that, you know how often, you probably don't know very often, children are asked that, that is who are seven, eight or nine years old. Uh, how many words do you think you know? 
I know all the words. <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course. I've heard this. I've played this game many times. And the answer is absolutely natural. Are there any words I don't know? Yes. <laughs> yeah. A few. There's a few. There's a few. <laughs> a few still left. Well, it was it was great talking to you today. Do you have any other uh, projects you, you 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 want to get to next, or anything you anything that's grabbed your enthusiasm now? Uh, I don't know. Uh, my projects uh, always in in engender other projects. Uh-huh. Uh, so uh, I'll of course go on uh, with uh, with words, uh, collecting and an update bibliography. Uh, after all, it appeared almost twenty years ago. Mm-hmm. And it's always extremely interesting to see what has been written since the year 2000. Uh, so I'll keep writing about these things. And I have uh, I have been commissioned to write several uh, several papers for uh, for all kinds of editions. And uh, uh, I'm going to develop some of them. Uh, there is still enough work for me to do, and I hope to be able to do at least some of it before I say good, say goodbye to my profession. Okay. Well, I wish you all the best in that because I, I urge everybody to, to get a copy of Take My Word For It. The author is Anatoly Lieberman. It's a fascinating read. It's also, you could tell by our conversation, so much fun. Anatoly, thank you so much for talking to us today. Thank you so much for inviting me. It has really been a source of enjoyment. Thank you very much. Thank you.